if you're in elementary school and you're still with us, you can go ahead and head out. Middle schoolers are staying here today, so. Whew, that song gets you, doesn't it? I started looking around and I'm like, there ain't no Kleenex box up here. Bob, you better keep it under control. Thank you guys. Thanks to our band. We give them a round of applause. Hey, I want to start with an assumption this morning, okay? Uh, I, want to, I want to assume that just about everybody in here wants to be uh, a better person, okay? Or as the world puts it, the best version of ourselves, okay? I don't know that I've really ever met anybody who says, man, you know what? This year, I really want to be worse. I want to be like the most horrible version of me that I could possibly think of, right? So... That's my first assumption. The second is that I'm going to assume that most of us want our lives to have some kind of a positive and lasting impact on the world around us. I think all of us want to leave some kind of legacy, right? That we would be people that would encourage and, and just inspire other people to be their best selves as well. But the obvious question, so I feel pretty safe making those assumptions this morning. The obvious question, though, is how? Because as the old saying goes, if, if everybody, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. But the reality is, is that we look around and we see a lot of people who, who aren't living the best version of them. We see a lot of folks that really aren't making that big of an impact on the world around them. In fact, the list of people that we might know that are is a fairly short list. So, so what are we missing? And this world is filled with all kinds of advice on this topic. Okay, so this past week, as I was studying, I just went to, to Google and I just typed in how to be a better person. Okay, and there was no end of suggestions on how that happened. So I scrolled down, found an article that kind of captured my attention that was entitled, Nine Ways to Be a Better Person and Be Happy. So I thought, man, this sounds like a winner. Okay, so this article was written by one Jeet Banerjee. And Jeet Banerjee is a self-described serial entrepreneur, which I decided was better than taking advice from a serial killer. <laughs> so Jeet started by admitting that as a child, he was basically a jerk. But over the years, he's grown tremendously and wants to share his nine tips to self-development with us. So let's take a look at a few. So first he said that we have to be willing to change. And I thought, yeah, that's pretty solid, right? You can't, you can't be transformed. You can't be a better version of yourself if you're kind of stuck in your old way. So that was pretty solid. He secondly said, you got to stop making excuses. And I like that. I'm kind of a, you know, no victim mentality. Let's just dig in and get after it kind of a guy. So I'm like, all right. Third, he said, stop being angry. And this is where I was like, hmm. <laughs> well, Jeet, how, how does one do that, Right. And this is what he said. This is seriously one of his suggestions. He says, you know, really anger is all about muscle tension. And he recommended de-stressing by squeezing a stress ball. And then the anger just melts away, right? <laughs> Serenity now, right? And so I say some of this tongue-in-cheek. Anybody angry out there? Here's a little souvenir. Pass it on to an angry person you may know, right? And I'm saying some of this stuff tongue-in-cheek because it's fairly ridiculous. And I'll spare you the rest of the list, except to say that number seven was be honest. And Jeet's advice was this. Promise yourself 
that you won't tell any lies for a month straight. And I thought, why haven't I thought of that? <laughs> Just promise yourself you won't do something and then you won't. How many of us have promised ourselves we wouldn't do something and immediately did it like the next moment, right? It's simply not that easy to change. And the problem is that none of these tips really get at the real issue. There's a reason why God, from the very beginning of time, had this plan in place. Before we were created, there was a Jesus. He was there in the very beginning, our Savior. And as we sang this morning, like, for God so loved the world that he gave, he knew he was going to have to give his son to rescue and redeem humanity before humans were even created. Literally remind us of a few verses we recently studied in Ephesians 2, if we can put those back up here. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. He's talking about Satan. <laughs> the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. We were all by nature deserving of wrath. We were all born enemies of God before we even took our first breath. Because of the fall of mankind, we were all born estranged from our Heavenly Father. You see, our problem isn't what we do. Our problem is who we are. We don't need to be better people. We need to be different people altogether. We need to somehow move from dead in our transgressions to alive in Christ. We don't need our hearts and minds tweaked just a little. We need a complete heart and mind transplant. We don't need a list of tips or stress balls or promises to ourselves to be better. We need to be saved. A supernatural intervention needs to take place. And this human dilemma is why Easter is the most important event in the history of the world. But in order for there to be a resurrection, right, there has to be a death. And death is painful. Certainly painful for the person experiencing it, but also painful for the people that have to kind of be alongside that person as well, being impacted by it. And Jesus' death on the cross is our story as well. We were dead. Each one of us was stuck and trapped in our sin, in this broken and flawed thinking, unaware of the damage that it was doing to us and the damage that we were doing to others. We were all hurting people who hurt people. And we were estranged from God, people without hope. And to illustrate that, that sad reality of who we were, I have a little art project I want you to do with me today. So when you came in today, you guys got these little silhouettes. I hope that this doesn't resemble anyone here. It's kind of a Charlie Brown head uh, this morning, okay? But what I want you to do, is there anybody that didn't get one of these? We got ushers back there. If you can just raise your hand and we'll, we'll get some more to you because we want everybody to have this. This is a critical uh, piece. We can get a couple ushers to come and help with that, okay? <clears throat> On one side of this, just at the top, I want you to write, um, I was. Okay, so grab pins. There should be pins in your pews in front of you. Share if you need to. 
just real small, just right, I was at the top, okay? Okay, so I'm actually going to give you a couple of minutes, okay? And what I want you to do on that side that, that said I was, and you can just kind of bullet point it down, I want you to write some things, some truths about you. When you were dead in your transgressions, before you met Christ, what was true about you? We did this activity with just a little bit fancier faces <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things that I said about myself is that before Christ, when I was dead in my transgressions, I was kind of stoic and disconnected. I, I kind of just really kind of shoved emotions down. I didn't really know how to emotionally connect with people. That's who I was. Okay, so just take a couple moments of silence and just jot down a few things. What was true about you before you met Christ? Somebody's got a sense of humor this morning. <laughs> Would a few people be willing to maybe just share one thing about themselves, who they used to be before they met Christ, what was true about them when they were dead in their transgressions? Yeah. Purposeless. Purposeless. Okay. Good. What else? Yeah, Randy? Self-centered. Self-centered. Yeah. Boastful. What's that? Boastful. Boastful. Okay. What else? Yeah. But low self-esteem. Self yeah. Anything else? Yeah. Lost. Lost. Okay. Good. Well, not good, but, you know, <laughs> thanks for being honest, right? It's not a very pretty picture when we think about it. I want you guys just to put those aside for a bit. We're going to come back to it, okay? Um, the earliest Gospels, okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that recorded the actual teachings and the events of Jesus' life uh, were written about 30 years after his death and resurrection, okay? <clears throat> Until that time... <clears throat> Everything that people knew about him was just passed around by word of mouth. 
So people would hear the stories about Christ, they would memorize it, and then they would tell it to somebody else and pass it on. So when Paul was traveling around, and he was taking this good news message that really kind of been, had been centralized in Israel at that time, he started taking it out into the rest of the Mediterranean, the Roman Empire, going from, from city to city to city, telling people for the first time about this good news of this Jewish Savior. Right? He was doing it without the benefit of a Bible to carry around with him. He was telling stories about what he'd heard and remembered and the core teachings of the new Christian faith. In about 54 AD, so about 20 years uh, after Jesus' death and resurrection, he wrote this letter to the people in Corinth. And in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, we see this early doctrinal statement of faith. He was passing on something that was a, a, which is a little... Uh, it's called the kerygma, but it's like just this little gospel message. And so we're going to take a look at that. Um, is it Lauren that's going to read first? She's going to read from, um, you can open your Bibles if you'd like to follow along. It's 1 Corinthians 15. It's going to be verses 3 through 8. Go ahead. For what I received, can you hear me? Okay. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he had appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom were still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Okay. So ingrained in early Christian doctrine was this absolute certainty that Jesus had raised from the dead. Okay, the story that they were passing around was that Jesus was risen, that he had appeared to over 500 people, that some of those people were still alive. You could go ask them today. They'll tell you about it and verify that truth. And this absolute certainty is how this small little religion centered around a crucified leader in just a matter of a couple hundred years became the religion of the Roman Empire, right? It became the national religion in just a couple of hundred years, the biggest religion in the world. Guys, the only way that could happen is if the resurrection was true. If they wanted to end Christianity, they could have just gone and gotten Jesus' body from the grave from the tomb, paraded it out in the streets, taken it to Rome, marched it around. Here's Jesus. He's not risen. And the whole thing would have been over. But they couldn't do it because he wasn't there. People's lives had been changed. 2,000 years later, we're still celebrating that truth. And as followers of Christ, his story becomes our story as well. The narrative goes from Christ died to what Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20. If we can put that slide up there. Paul wrote this. He said, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Wow, that's, that's really important, guys. <laughs> Paul goes from Christ died to I have been crucified. <laughs> Okay, so what's that all about? <laughs> this is really cool stuff. It's supernatural stuff. Okay, I want you to turn your Bibles over to Romans chapter 6. It's page 1607. Justin is going to stand up and, and read that for us. We're going to look at verses 3 through 8 of Romans 6. 
It says, or do you not know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him. Where was I? We were there, therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of our Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Okay. So we see what Paul is saying here. <laughs> He's saying that in a supernatural way, our old life of sin, all that stuff that you guys just wrote down on one side of your little card there, all of that stuff, before you were even born, was crucified on the cross with Christ. You got it? Your sinful nature before you were born was crucified with Christ on the cross. The sinful person we used to be died with him on that day. And Paul is saying in verse 5, for if we've been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. Translation, <laughs> we will be made new. Our life, if we choose to believe it's true, can be resurrected and transformed. Do you guys know that people didn't recognize Jesus when he walked out of the tomb? His, his appearance from when they last saw him on the cross, broken and bloodied, right, to who he came out of the tomb looking like, it was two different things. They didn't recognize him. You guys ever been around people that you know have been transformed by Christ and you, you knew the old them and you're like, that's not even the same person, right? I coach track with a guy that comes here named Tyler Banks and, and in the fall I coach cross country with him and then now I'm coaching track with him. He's not the same person that he was six months ago. He is new. He's transformed. You wouldn't recognize the guy that he is now. That's unbelievable stuff. So how does this all happen? <laughs> what makes it possible for someone to become new? If I no longer live, as Paul says, I no longer live, then, then who does? What did Paul say in Galatians 2 again? He said, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. You see, Scripture tells us that when we begin a relationship with Christ, the Holy Spirit moves in, and, and, and Scripture says that, that he, he makes his home in us. And it's an inside job. He's doing all the work on the inside, transforming us into the image of Christ from the inside out. It's a supernatural work. Paul said in Philippians 1.6 that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Right? God is going to be working on you until the day that Jesus comes back. Day by day, making you a little bit more like Christ. One thing I've loved about our series in Ephesians that we've been doing this um, semester is this a continual orientation to in Christ, right? We talk about how that phrase shows up again, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Guys, in our natural efforts, we'll be forever stuck. 
We'll be forever squeezing the stress balls, wondering why I'm still angry. (laughs) But in Christ, all things are possible. We are not who we once were. Our old self was crucified with Christ, and our new identity was resurrected with Jesus. Now, will we continue to make mistakes? Will we struggle? Will we fail and fall down sometimes? Absolutely. We talked about last week that anybody that begins a relationship with Christ, no matter what age of your life that is, you become a spiritual infant. You are born again. You are a new creation. You have to learn a completely different way of speaking, acting, thinking called the kingdom of God. And it's different than the kingdom of this world. In fact, it's the exact opposite. And so every one of us, no matter where we begin as Christians, we all start as spiritual infants. And we go through the process of maturation just like humans do. We go from infants to spiritual toddlers to spiritual children to spiritual teenagers to spiritual young adults. As we know in science now, like, uh, they're saying that you know, people's brains aren't fully formed until they're 25. Okay, It's a process of change. And thank God that God is infinitely patient with us through that. A lot more patient than we are with one another. But guys, the resurrection changes everything. It means that if Jesus can conquer death, then anything is possible for us. We have to remember that we have Christ in us. Right? We have Christ in us, and Christ is perfect. So we have perfect love, joy, peace, forgiveness, grace, power in us, ready to come out whenever we're willing to allow it to. It's there. We can tap into it and get access to it. Put a little spigot on it like a tree that you tap syrup from or whatever. You know what I mean? Holy Spirit's in here to shove that thing in and crank that thing. Let's go. Jesus is ready to pour that out onto this world whenever we're ready to believe it is true. And as we start to heal and we get comfortable with this new identity that we have as saints, as sons and daughters of the King of Kings, this Jesus begins to ooze out of us in really beautiful ways. I've always loved 2 Corinthians 5.17. It's one of the first verses I memorize. It says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. You see, in Christ, we are not a better version of ourselves. We are an altogether different version. We are a new creation. And I love that word. Can you put that verse back up there again? I'm sorry. I love that word, behold. Behold. Guys, in the King James Version of the Bible, because the first time it was translated into English, 1611, that word behold was in the King James Version 1,200 times. And then in the NIV Version that we have in our pews now, it's in there about 10. And it's been replaced with words like look. Okay, but behold was a much more compelling word. To behold something means this. Be sure to see. Don't miss this. Fix your eyes upon. See with attention to observe with care. Behold, the new has come. It reminded me of something that you might say to your daughter when they walk down the stairs in that prom dress, right? Or when you first see them on their wedding day. 
and they're just so beautiful. It's like they've been transformed into to somebody else, right? They've done everything, the hair, the, you know, makeup, the nails. I mean, it's just like, oh my gosh, I don't even recognize you. You're just unbelievably beautiful. God redeems us and he makes us new. And he turns to the angels and he says, behold, check out Bob. Look at, look at Dave. Look at Aaron. Look at Abby. Aren't they stunning? Look at them. Guys, we put together a video for you today of some wellspringers that have become new creations. And they used to live a certain way when they were dead in their transgressions, but now that old person has been crucified <laughs> with Christ, and they are walking in a new reality, a new creation resurrected from the ashes. Let's, let's hear their story. I wish we had the time to have all of you guys do that and just to hear those collective stories, guys. But the truth behind those stories is that those folks took their healing seriously, right? Change is not an easy process for anyone. We have to work at it and we have to dig in and we have to cooperate with the spirit as he's trying to transform us. And the sad reality is that the most of the world just doesn't want to work at it that hard or maybe they don't have the community around them to help lead them through that change process. Most people in this world honestly would rather just read Jeet Banerjee's article about becoming a happier person in nine easy steps. Okay? Now I want you to take a moment. On the back side of your little face there, I want you to write across the top, I am becoming. If you've begun a relationship with Christ and you've started to see some transformation in you or have over the years, Take a couple minutes and just write down the changes that you've seen in yourself as a follower of Christ. You're not a finished product, but who do you see God making you into as you're no longer a slave to sin?
couple weeks ago, um, we had a board and staff retreat here at church, and we took a moment to do this activity together. Um, and so each one of us filled out one of these little silhouettes, and I have mine up here. And, you know, I, when I said I was stoic and disconnected, on the other side, I said I'm becoming a person who longs to feel and connect, All right? I cry a lot more than I used to <laughs> when I'm driving, when I'm worshiping. And one of the beautiful things about that time was that after everybody shared, we also kind of opened the floor up and we allowed other people to speak into what they see, who they see us becoming, because sometimes we can't see it for ourselves. Or, or maybe we just don't realize the extent to which we've changed. And so one of the reasons why I wanted to give you this today was that I'd love for you today over lunch or dinner when you're around with your family to spend some time sharing this with one another and allow the other people in your family circle to speak into that with you, to say, hey, here's, I see you becoming like this too. Don't forget this, right? So we can celebrate those things. It was so encouraging to hear, just to see with the 12 of us that were, or so that were in that room today, the collective potential, the collective power of 12 changed lives. And, and what was even more cool was to think about the ripple effects going out from those lives. How many other people have been impacted by the transformation of the people in just that room that day, right? The, the spouses or kids or friends or maybe their teachers or the people they rub shoulders with every day have been impacted by that transformation for good. I want you guys to think about the collective impact of a few hundred of you being the church community in St. Joseph, in the places that you work, in the lives that you impact with one another. Man, this is unbelievable potential to come out from here, right? As we allow ourselves to be changed for Christ. Guys, the hope of Easter is that our story isn't over. God is committed to making each one of you like Jesus if you'll cooperate with him. One of my favorite sayings is the problem with a living sacrifice is that it can crawl off the altar. Right? God, we're, we're alive and he wants to change us, but we have to stay at the table. <laughs> and sometimes he's got to hold us down and say, hey, come on, our community says, stay here. I know it's rough. You're going through a rough season. You're not changing like you'd like to, but stay in there, man. God's committed to the change process if we'll cooperate with him. He wants us to be the aroma of Christ in this world, light in this darkness. Guys, we're going to stand together. As we finish today, I want you to, um, you're just going to look at some words from, this is from Titus. Chapter 3, go ahead and stand with me. It's verses 3 through 7, and we're going to say these words out loud together, okay? So just follow along with me. This is the unbelievable truth. Here we go. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit when he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior so that 
having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're just so grateful, God, that our story isn't over. That the cross wasn't the end. That the tomb, when they rolled that stone over there, over the cover of it, wasn't the end of your story. But that you're true to your promises. God, you're risen and you're alive. And you're in this room this morning. We recognize, we feel your presence. It resonates with our hearts. God, as we sing, as we hear truths about you, something in us stirs and says, yes, I believe that. I've seen it. I've tasted it. I've experienced it. God, I pray that as that reality takes hold of our hearts, that we would be a people who would go out into this world and just spread everywhere that good news. God, who doesn't want to know that they can be a new creation? That the story that they were handed doesn't have to stay that way. They don't have to stay broken. They don't have to stay hurting and lonely and longing. God, but they can be filled with joy and peace and purpose and life. God, make us lights that shine and mouths that speak for you. We thank you so much for the resurrection, for this Easter Sunday that we get to celebrate. And we just give this last song to you as we, as we sing. We thank you for this church community, this family that helps us change and transform and reminds us of what's true when we forget it. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.